This is Young Urban Zen. It's Tuesday. And this is the second of three sessions of a gradual instruction in Zazen, gradual instruction in Shikantaza. How many of you are here for the first time tonight? Nice, nice. Welcome, welcome. Um, this class can stand alone, so please fear not that you missed something critical last week. It's good information last week. Um, to say a little bit about what we did, um, the focus for these three weeks is to gradually introduce the practice that's central to this school, and that is Shikantaza, Zazen, seated, seated Zen. Shikantaza is just sitting, just wholeheartedly sitting. Sometimes that is the, that's the whole thrust of the instruction. Another approach is to build bit by bit our facility for being intimate with these different aspects of our life, rather than trying to jump in all at once, sort of building our, building our skill little by little. We talked about the basic container of the practice, and that's our posture. We spent quite a bit of time talking about how to align the body. Highlights that may be useful. One of the most important things is an alert spine. Welcome. Oh, not at all. Alert spine. If you're in a seated posture, having a spine that's upright yet relaxed, the natural S-curve of the spine is emphasized. Also fine to meditate lying down if you need to do that. Uh, and walking meditation is very, very traditional. Then we began with a very, very common practice, focusing our attention on the breathing, central to experience, central to meditation. And sort of centering and stabilizing ourselves on the breathing, uh, especially emphasizing the felt sense of breathing, emphasizing sensation, sensing into the body as it breathes, as distinct from our ideas about the breathing, our commentary about the breathing, but this felt, sensed, awake body that's breathing. Those are some of the high points, things we covered last week. And most generally, the trajectory, the idea here is to take this very simple everyday faculty of attention and to apply it and develop it in such a way that we grow in terms of being free with whatever experience arises for us. So with last week as an introduction, this week we will talk about the body. We'll expand this awareness of the breathing to include the body more deliberately, and then we'll get into some um, we'll get into mindfulness of emotions, and we'll touch a little bit about working with pain. So, to reiterate the core practice, which we're going to build on tonight, we begin with our posture as it is, and we direct our attention to the felt sense of breathing the sensations of breathing, in-breath, out-breath. And we direct our attention there until something else becomes more compelling, 
And we'll get into this transition quite a bit tonight. So far, we've been focusing on directing our attention. And tonight, we'll move a, move a bit into the faculty of having a receptive, receiving attention. So we direct our attention to the breathing. And then when something, when a say, a sensation or a thought or a feeling, an emotion arises, with enough intensity that it makes it difficult to stay with the breathing. We recognize this, turn our attention to whatever that thing may be. For this week, just the body. Let's keep it simple. Turn our attention to whatever that is, and then fully be with that. So, the body, just like the other sensations of, uh, of the body that are related to breathing, the body, just like the breath, is always in the present moment. It's one of the reasons we can trust it. We know that if we're here with the felt sense of the body, that we're actually experiencing something in this moment. In contrast, if I'm thinking about how wonderful the dinner was that I just had in the uh, dining hall with the monks, if I am considering some uh, conversation, that oh, I should have said this when I was at work today, that would have gone really well, then the attention has left. I'm not here. In some way, the mind and the body are split. But if I'm here with the breathing, just as a, if I'm here with the body, I know that I'm here. I know that I'm here. What I want to emphasize in terms of practicing with the body, incorporating the body into our zazen practice, is this attitude of feeling our way into the sensed body. Feeling our way into the sensed body. Uh, the, fa- the founder of the school in Japan is quoted as saying, mindfulness of the body is the body's mindfulness. Mindfulness of the body is the body's mindfulness. And what I take from that is it's the sensing through, the awareness through the body, more than my thinking about the body. I recognize this for myself, say, when uh, I go to the dentist and I get a little anesthesia. I recognize it's absent. I have awareness that's not actually there. I know, I know how awake and aware and alive the body is actually when it's not. Does anyone have that, have that experience? So to feel our way into the sensed body. And there's something about doing this that's actually quite nourishing. To feel our way into the sensed body and to prioritize that, to put that in the foreground and let the commentaries, the ideas, the judgments, the other things going on make their way into the background, keeping the body in the foreground. So unifying the body here and now, feeling into the sense body. I want to do a brief exercise with you to to really get a sense of this. If you'd like, you can close your eyes, but you don't have to. You can take a few breaths just to settle yourself here. And I want to invite you to 
Direct your attention to the sensations of your left hand. Really giving priority to all the sensations of the left hand. Maybe the palm, the back of the hand, fingers, knuckles. Any sensation is just fine. Pleasant, unpleasant. In the feeling into the left hand, what's there? Is there coolness in part of the hand, heat? Vibration, pulsing? Tension, relaxation? even pain. Attending, feeling your way, sensing into this alive awareness in the left hand. And in the rhythm with a, with a breath, switch to your right hand. And the same investigation, the same feeling, sensing into. As you're breathing in and breathing out, letting that felt sense of the hand be in the foreground. What's there? Anything that's there is just fine. Sustaining this sensing. If there's any comment, any judgment, any evaluation, just let that be in the background for now, if possible. Keep the hand in the foreground. And then again, making a transition in rhythm with the breathing. I'll invite you to widen the awareness to include the entire body. There's a sort of receptive sensing that takes on this whole scope of the body. We don't quite know where the next sensation will come from. It's just receiving.
And then taking a deep breath. When you're ready, you can open your eyes. So unifying the attention with the felt sense, unifying the mind and the body such that they're in one place at one time. There's something deeply nourishing about this. Um, There's knowing what's going on. And then something I I hope maybe get a, a sense of is this sense of really registering, really letting it register what's going on. This can become a deep resource, a deep sense of strength. And again, in connection with the body, letting these comments sort of make their way to the background. I thought of an illustration for this that sort of uh, captures for me this sense of registering and feeling into. Imagine some of us have gone out to Ocean Beach. Sun's, maybe sun's going down. Walk out, to the, walk out to the sand to watch the sunset and really letting that come in, really letting that register. Interesting to me that what's satisfying and nourishing, spacious, wholesome, evocative, it's not my thoughts about the sunset, it's the whole array. It's the whole sensing of the scene that's nourishing. There's a way that our comments and our evaluations, our thinking can sort of reify something can actually make it smaller. One of the things I hope we can tune into tonight is that the body, in its felt sense, is a much bigger container than our thinking mind. The thoughts of the thinking mind can be quite small, and there's this whole sensed world. A little bit of a playful analogy, but taking this uh, beach example, I imagine I'm out at Ocean Beach, I'm looking at the sunset, I see these three billboards. The first is just a picture of what I'm looking at, but it's still, there's no life in it. It's frozen. It's a thought. There's a second one that says, this beach is so great, I want to come here every day. And then I get caught up in that and sort of world taken, uh, taken off into a story. And then there's a third billboard that says something like, Oh, this, yeah, this speech is pretty good, but it would be so much better if. <laughs> Does anyone have commentary like that? Yeah. There's the experience, there's the commentary. It's the ocean, and there are these, uh, <laughs> there are these three billboards. So one of the principles of mindfulness is that pleasant or unpleasant Any experience is food for your mindfulness. Whether we like it, we don't like it. Food for our mindfulness. And we know, we know when we're unified with the body, we're being nourished. So, I want to go one more layer into this, which is the influence that pleasant and unpleasant has on us. We experience pleasant and unpleasant, a lot of it through the body. And when we're not aware, 
when we're not aware and we experience pleasant, we get tangled right up. We get tangled right up in craving and clinging before we know it. For experiencing unpleasant, without vision, without awareness, without mindfulness, we get tangled up in our stories of aversion pretty quickly, pretty easily, and off we go. One of the revolutionary possibilities of cultivating mindfulness of the body is that you get to make that choice rather than having it made for you. You get to register pleasant and unpleasant and then make a skillful decision rather than being led by habit. It's pretty amazing. So let's talk a bit specifically about working with pain because uh, we're um, establishing a practice. I think for a lot of us, the body takes a long while to unwind. Um, Finding our posture for the first time, developing that posture, sitting for sitting for 20 minutes, 25 minutes, half an hour, there's going to be some discomfort. So I think we do well to talk about how to relate to pain. To approach this, again, let's think of it in terms of meditation. We're seated, we're with the breathing. Sensation comes up that's predominant, that's compelling, that calls our attention could be discomfort. One of the ways we grow in the practice is with a trust that whatever is arising now for us to see and experience is all part of the path. What we need to experience is what's coming. Sometimes that feels a little make-believe when, uh, when, it's pa- when it's painful, but it can help take the edge off just a little bit. As far as practicing with pain, be very helpful when it arises, if it's available to you, to turn the attention toward, toward the pain just as you would with any other sensation. Parse out the commentary from the pain itself. And to experience, experience, be with, get to know, get to know pain just as sensation. Quick caveat. Please take very good care of yourselves. Please take very good care of yourselves. Don't overdo this. Um, this can be something to experiment with like 10 seconds at a time, 20 seconds at a time, one breath beyond what, what you want to do. So the the shape of the practice, when pain arises, when a strong sensation arises, let go of the breathing, direct your attention to the the sense in the body, parse that from the commentary, and just stay with the immediacy of that experience, just like the palm of the hand, just like the ocean, and let that register. Something that we know through observation and something we know through reading. The the experience of pain is actually a composite. The experience of pain isn't just nerve signals to the brain. It's also interpretation in the brain. It's also amplified by our stories, our commentary, our evaluations. Sometimes the story itself can amplify the pain. Sometimes the story can diminish the pain. But it's a composite. It's not one thing. 
And then tuning into the tuning into the sensations of pain. If we're trying to keep it at a distance, it often feels like it's one monolithic thing. Like, oh, knee pain is just knee pain. I don't want to. I, I don't. I don't want to look at that. I don't want to be with that. If it's available, and we can tune into sensation as sensation, what starts to reveal itself is that the what is what we're calling knee pain is this composite of all these different little sensations. Right now, I'm tu- tuning into a little bit of pain in my knee, and I feel tension. I feel pulling. I feel a little bit of a twist. I feel a tingle right in that same area. It's all these different bits. And there's something about turning on curiosity that, again, sort of takes the edge off. It also alerts the mind and the heart to the fact that, oh, this is changing. This is different. And under the gaze of mindfulness and awareness, it starts to release. Something starts to happen. The body is a large enough container to hold pleasant, to hold unpleasant. And the basic notion with working with pain as working with the body is to maintain a simple relationship to it, to parse out commentary and just be with the body, just be with the body. So you may want to shake out your legs for a minute and then we'll do a guided meditation to take this a little more deeply. It's a good time to grab more cushions if you would like to do that. So whenever you're ready, let's take our seats. We'll do a guided meditation together, and then we'll have some time for questions just about body and pain. And then we'll move into discussing emotions after that. We'll have some time to move together. So finding your way, finding your way here. Setting the spine upright and alert with the support of the legs and the sits bones. The spine long, alert, gently lengthened in a way that can allow your ribs, your arms, muscles to relax wide and relax deep. You take a moment to add some little bit of space, see if there's a little bit of space to be had in the upper vertebrae and in the neck, which may naturally tuck your chin.
And then from here, taking can be helpful to take a few long, deep breaths, just at your own pace. If the eyes are open, they can be half open, gently down in front of you. Now's a good time to do just a quick pass through the body with your attention to see if there's any place that can be easily relaxed. Maybe the face and around the eyes. Maybe the shoulders, shoulder blades. Maybe something deeper like the diaphragm. Inviting the attention down, down, down into the low belly to connect with these sensations of breathing. If the attention wanders, no problem, no problem at all. When you recognize, gently, kindly return. And for this exercise, like you to, I would, I'd like to invite you now to let go of your breathing, let go of any priority of your breathing. And tune into whatever happens to be the most compelling sensation in the body. If that's too much, it can be the second or third. 
And just as we did with the hand, feeling in. Sensing through. And maybe notice any commentary. And either let that go or allow it to be in the background. foregrounding sensation. If that sensation disappears, that's fine. Just direct your attention to the next. As you're watching it, what do you notice? What's shifting? What's changing? What seems stable? Let's come back to the breathing, let that go. Maybe a deep breath to relax the body again. If while you're with the breathing now, another sensation becomes predominant, feel free to shift the attention and be with that in the body. If nothing compelling arises, you can just stay with the breathing.
if the comments are strong, totally fine. Totally fine. The comment and the sensation can both be there. As I ring a bell to close this sitting, just a curiosity. If you can feel the bell through the body, what happens for you? you can open your eyes. We did that sitting just two minutes early so we can all get up and stretch. <laughs> Let's do that and then we can do some questions. So many of us are here now, but sometimes on retreats when we're sitting a lot, uh, there will be a yoga class in this room. It feels nice to think about. (laughs) No rush. I'm going to take my seat, but whatever you're ready. So comments are welcome, and um, is the practice we've covered so far clear? Any questions? This is a good time to ask them, because we'll be building on this in just a minute. Yes? I'm wondering if, um, is, is perceiving something not a thought? Is perceiving something not a thought? Can you say more? Great, great. Good question. Yeah, the intimacy of mind and body is so thorough. Strictly speaking, yeah, there's this whole school of Buddhism that influences Zen. It's like a mind-only school. Maybe I don't want to go down that road too much at the moment. Um, What I want to say... the mind is going to be active and sensing. It's sort of what we're relying on. It's what we're employing through using our attention. So um, 
I'm doing a lot of a lot of discussing the difference between sensation and comment. If we get really into what sensation is, it's a mental experience. But uh, I don't want to jump. I don't want to jump too much. It's a really useful distinction at the moment. But uh, you're you're onto something. Uh, in the back, and then. Yeah, I just wanted to share when I was focusing on pain, like I had pain in my ankle while I was sitting. Yes. And that, like, focusing on that, exploring that was interesting, and then I, I pretty quickly had a judgment about it. Like, uh, the first was just some kind of negative reaction to having pain at all, and the second was like, oh, I'm like, a judgment about like, how I'm sitting that must be causing the pain, and sort of like I'm doing something wrong. Sure. And my mind is really good at then cascading thoughts. You know, like then getting upset at myself or having an upset thought while meditating. You know, like, uh, so when you, in your guidance, mentions, you know, noticing the thought, like expanding to notice both the sensation and the thought, having that be okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, I was able to let go a little bit of cascading thoughts and just kind of notice the original thought and Wow. Yeah, thank you for sharing. So what I heard was cascade. I love that expression, cascading thoughts. Does that, does that ring a bell, people? Yeah, that really hit, that really hit home for me. Um, there was something about, something about allow, allowing thought and sensation to both be there simultaneously that diminished the momentum of cascading thoughts. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the observation. Sounds like, a, sounds like the practice is working. One thing that I've noticed when I'm meditating on the body is that I'm often uh, sort of visualizing the body part while I'm also noticing the sensations in it. And especially like as we were doing the the work with the hands, that I was sort of imagining the hand in my mind and also feeling the sensations in it, which kind of feels like a thought or a less direct experience of that sensation. Absolutely. I wonder if you have any tips for working with that. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Um, I, my, in my interpretation, and just the way you describe it, I, I agree with you. The, the image the image is a thought. It's like it's a mental fabrication that somehow goes along with hand. It can be really interesting to discover or like look around What's the relationship? How does like how's that how's that functioning for you? Um, there was a period where I was doing a lot of body meditation, and there were times where I couldn't feel the body, and I would employ the image in order to make contact. It was like it it got me it got me there. I found it really helpful. And then when when I discovered that that was or when there came a time for me that that was extra and I just wanted to be with sensation, then that's what I did. So there's no, uh, there's no wrong turn to, to make here. Um, one of the things that my own teacher says is that in, in training in meditation, we're training to become our own teacher. And the way that we do that is by experimenting. So try it out. Yes. Um. I like the idea of paying attention to pain as it comes up, but in my experience in meditating with 
pain from injury, it can be hard to pull yourself then out of that. Yeah. It sort of can become overwhelming, I think. Yeah. Do you have any tips or thoughts on Yeah, I'm really glad you brought this up. Um, as, I, as we talked about last time, meditating with injury is sort of its own, sort of its own thing. What, what is a general principle that, I, that applies to everyone, and I, I really want to highlight this, like big red pen, is to stay within your proper limits of working, working with pain, working with discomfort, whether that be emotional or physical. So um, there, another personal story, there was, a, there was a time in my practice where it was really, it was really easy for me to dissociate and a, a little bit too much, like a little bit of overwhelm for the system, I'd be gone. And so it was a training to see oh, like how, how much attention to pain is really useful for me. Because tipping over into dissociation wasn't useful, or tipping over into overwhelm, not so useful for the system. And again, like experimenting with where that line is and, and growing your field, growing your field as part of that. Does that address what you're wondering about? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for bringing it up. One of the things I like about Q&A is all the things that I really should have said that I didn't get to come up. <laughs> yes? Uh, if there are like certain body parts that are necessary to feel, having worked with that or training yourself to feel those body parts? Yeah, great, uh, great question. I have I have an answer, but I also I don't know why I have an intuition to say. Can you say a little more? Oh, um, like as an example of the hand, I feel the fingertips, but I didn't necessarily feel the sensation of the knuckles. Sure. And then I think about it more. I don't necessarily feel my back as I'm meditating. Like there, yeah. <laughs> totally, totally. Thanks for bringing it up. Um, does anyone play an instrument? Has anyone learned a foreign language? We do it little by little, little by little. It would be so cool if we could like turn on body awareness and have it all. <laughs> like, yes, body awareness complete, check. Um, this goes uh, not just with body awareness, but with actually, I want to say, maybe go too far and say all meditative skills, little by little. In terms of the specifics of working with the body, it's a... It's a sort of skill in, in recognition. It's a long, long training. It's almost like the body wakes up. It's almost like the body wakes back up. Um, I've known meditators who have meditated for years, and then on one meditation retreat, they realized they'd never felt their left collarbone before. They didn't even, they didn't even know that they didn't know. Or a lot of times for people, it's the back, something on the back, because we spend a lot of time sensing here, but maybe not a maybe not a lot back here until you hurt yourself. So the the training, if you wanted to train to to expand your body awareness, um, one thing one thing that can be done, being with the breathing just as we're doing, and then um, selecting a zone of your body. Where you're like, oh, if I if there's a predominant sensation that comes up in my left arm, I'm just I'm gonna feel that. So it gives just a little bit of priority over here that you can you can feel maybe something you haven't felt before. 
Yeah. And then you can work around different parts of the body. Really worthwhile. Something else I wanted to say was I have a very strong sense we could spend every yuz for the rest of the year and all of next year talking just about mindfulness of the body. It's a very long and very juicy training. Maybe one more and then we'll go on to emotions. Grow on to emotions. I see a hand. Yes. So I I think when I meditate with the body meditation, I find that it's easier to stay grounded and not actually disassociate and stay with it. Nice. But when I'm in like real life, walking around and like something comes up, I'm very quick to like dissociate. It's like a coping mechanism, I guess. Yeah. Just like move on, like next thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering like how to create that same experience that you can experience during meditation, but also like in real life. That's fabulous. This is like, this is like why we have places like this. Um, Suzuki Roshi used to say, there's not a, uh, we don't take our practice from the cushion and apply it in our life. We extend, we extend our practice outward. And you're bound to find limits. You're bound to find limits. Um, there's a, a teacher that I, I practiced with that she was on this really long retreat and, and was trying to find those moments where her awareness lapsed during the day. Cause she would like, she'd be, she'd be meditating consistently all day long and it would be like getting ready for bed and she ends up in bed and she's like, Oh, how'd I get here? How did I do that? She'd, she'd missed it. So she started investigating and found out anytime she entered the bathroom, she lost her mindfulness. So, in some kind of way, practice of awareness is studying where we lose it. And extending our, extending our practice is finding its edges. Yeah. And those are always shifting and changing. It's part of, what, like, part of what makes this a practice of a lifeline. Does that address what you're asking? Yeah, like, um, maybe, I, like some people say set like a, a Ringtone on your device or something, so it can remind you that to check in if you're actually checking in with yourself. Definitely, that's yeah, a great idea. Okay. And then, and then the practice when you start ignoring the bell, <laughs> it just goes on. So let's um, let's widen the circle just a little. So um, moving along. Beginning to include a wider and wider circle of our experience with this sort of, this sort of intimacy and a measure of freedom. Breathing, body. We'll move on to emotions. Next week we'll talk about thinking and then a sort of choiceless attention. Moving into the emotions, also an extremely long training. We could do the, the whole rest of 2024. <laughs> About how to relate to emotions skillfully. It, it drives so much, so much of our lives, I'm assuming, if you were anything like me and the people that I know. But relating to it skillfully, and again, One of the primary principles is, what's a simple relationship with an emotion? So there's a great story that actually came to my mind about when we were talking about cascading thoughts. 
the, the Buddha has this story about uh, he's I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to summarize this in some funny language he's with an assembly it says something like if, if someone is um, pierced with an arrow does it hurt yes thank you <laughs> and he goes, oh, if you're, if you're pierced with a second arrow, does that hurt, hurt worse? Goes, yes, yes it does. The second arrow hurts worse than, worse than the first. When there's just the emotion, when there's just the sensation in the body that's unpleasant, that's the first arrow. It's like a given. It's coming. It's part of life. It's part of having a body. And then the cascading thought, ouch, second arrow, ouch, third arrow. Um, one of my teachers has a hilarious, I think, anecdote about this. He's like, I'm walking along, I stub my toe, first arrow. He's like, Gil, you're a Buddhist teacher. You should really be paying attention. <laughs> second arrow. <laughs> Gil, you are the worst walker. You are an embarrassment to humankind. Third arrow. It's just on and on like this, right? Fourth, fifth. How many arrows does it take? The game isn't, uh, or the idea isn't that we don't have a whole bunch of arrows. I mean, we, we try for that. We may wake up at the 130th arrow. But the point is that you woke up. You woke up and now you're here. And your simple relationship, relationship to experience can be renewed, resumed. <laughs> Gil is the worst walker. So, <laughs> so the simplicity of awareness, even when it's painful, even when it's difficult, that can just be the first arrow. Yeah, like what, what can we do? How can we relate so we don't add? I think it's important to say that emotions such an important part of our life. Some of the most sublime things we experience and some of the most devastating. I think this is, this is one of those areas where we get into the full scope of our humanity in relationship to Buddhist practice. This includes, it includes love, it includes grief. All the satisfactions and all the losses and our, our responses to those. So having a complicated relationship to just straightforward, basic emotion, it can multiply the suffering that we have. And the opposite is also true. Something, something that we rely upon is a characteristic of awareness or a characteristic of mindfulness. It doesn't condemn or condone anything, actually. That's a separate function of the mind. When we're practicing with mindfulness, when we're using awareness, Accepting just means that I register the truth. This is what's here, this moment now. And we rely upon that. That, that gives us some kind of flavor, some kind of hint of a, about a simple relationship to experience. The reason we do this after the body is that it's much, much easier to practice mindfulness of emotions with a grounding of mindfulness in the body. And that is because cascade of thoughts carries us off 
suddenly we're not mindful. It's so easy to get whipped up into story when there's an emotion involved. But when we can parse the commentary from the felt experience, come down and experience the emotion through the body. If it's joyful, it's going to be really pleasant, maybe, for a while. And if it's painful, unpleasant. But letting it flow through, letting it, letting it process through the body. It's a sort of, it's a, it's a flavor of the practice that really takes a lot of time and takes trust. Like about putting, putting yourself in the middle of your felt experience of discomfort and trusting that something, something wholesome is unfolding here. Something wholesome is being developed by this awareness. I never tire of thinking about the fact that when we're meditating, it's a very safe place to have your emotions. It's a very good place to trust. You're not going to go anywhere. I have anger arise. I'm not going to say that thing. I'm going to feel it through my body and through my heart, even if I'm like shaking on the cushion. For these 20 minutes, while my timer is on, I'm not going to get up. Sadness, fear, joy. How wonderful is that? The body is a large enough container Pleasant and unpleasant. So uh, a colleague, friend of mine, Tanya Weiser, came up with a, an acronym for practicing with emotions. Uh, different ways to be aware with emotions. You don't have to employ all of these, uh, though they do really, really support one another. And her acronym is uh, RAFT, R-A-F-T. The R of raft is to recognize. The A is to accept or allow. The F is to feel. And the T is to tease apart. By now, these may be really familiar, having gone through the, through the body, having gone through breathing. Oh, definitely. Yeah, the R is to recognize. In the sense, recognizing just something compelling is happening now. That's the mindfulness we've been practicing to recognize. The A of raft is accept or allow. This is what's really arising right now. This is what's really happening, accepting in that way. Feeling into, feeling through, sensing, and then teasing apart either sensation from sensation or comment from sensation. I'm going to, get, I'm going to go back through one a third time so we, I can add some comments to these. Recognize when we're with our breath, something compelling arises. That doesn't need elaboration based on the practice we've been doing. Accepting has some really interesting bits. One is to accept, to allow, is to take up the mental posture to not be in conflict with with simply the fact that this is here now. We don't have to be pleased about it. We don't have to condone it. We don't have to savor it. 
but just just allowing it, accepting it to the point that we know this is happening right now. Recognize, allow. One time I was having a difficult I was having a difficult retreat and I went to talk talk to the, the teacher. And I told them I told them I was having a lot of anger in the in the retreat. Um, who knows where it was coming from, you know, what is going to arise, needed to arise, and I was on this retreat, and I was having a lot of emotion, a lot of anger. And I said, I'm having a hard time feeling safe with this anger. I'm having a hard time settling into this retreat because my anger is so hot. And he said to me, yeah, maybe, maybe you need to feel safe with your anger, but maybe you need to let your anger feel safe with you. And that really touched on something for me about allowing, accepting. Like freedom, freedom isn't something I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm taking from the emotion. It's something I'm giving. And then the F of raft, feeling, sensing, sensing through what we've been talking about uh, all night. This awake awareness through the body to really feel. And that's where, emo- that's where emotion starts to unfold, unfurl, open up process through the body in my experience um i don't know how many times i've run a story and it it was it it played it played its role it played its role but it didn't quite resolve but there was something about going down into the body feeling the heat the vibration how it changed my breathing everything meditating along just letting my body be the vehicle for the processing of this emotion feeling, and then teasing apart. We've been talking about teasing apart. Only sort of question I want to add is, question posing to yourself, if you're teasing apart an emotion, the simple question of how is it actually, how is it right now through the body? How is this emotion right here? Not my story that may be activating the emotion, not my emotion that may be activating the story. Like right now, how can I register it in the body? Where is it? How do I feel it? And can that be, how's that shifting and changing and teasing apart? So the main thrust of raft, and this is the last point I'll make before we go into another exercise. Yes? So you were explaining that uh he had some like hard time and he kind of felt like unsafe because you have some anger. Yes. Uh, how do you overcome that? Like sometimes you know, if, yeah, you feel like your body is a decontainer, you can keep everything. But sure. You know, there is always the last drop. Definitely, then it's like volcano, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how much? How much is too much? Or? Yeah. Like, how do you overcome that, and how you could like calm down and just? Oh, oh, the question is like when you're, when you're sort of like taken over by anger. Yeah. How do you how do you calm calm down, come back? Yeah, without like maybe express what you shouldn't express. Just because it's just state of mind in that specific moment. Yeah, yeah. What you're pointing to what you're pointing to is one of the reasons this can be a really long training. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um It's difficult. There's there's no way around 
there's no way around the difficulty of practicing with emotions. Mindfulness of emotions is not like a magic switch, and it won't be. I don't hear you expecting that, but it just bears, bears repeating. I can say what I, what I put my faith in when, the, say, the anger is really going, if I'm seated, I know I'm not going to act it out. I'm not repressing it because I'm still with it. It's still processing through me. I'm not expressing it because I'm not saying that thing to someone. It's really hard if you're face-to-face with someone, say, and something's up. Two things that I do. One, try not to make it worse. In that moment, in that moment when the emotion is so full, I'm not seeing clearly. That's not to say what I'm thinking, feeling, believing isn't true, but I know that I know that I'm limited in my understanding right then. And how many times, how many messes have we had to clean up because of that? Like, oh, it would be so sweet to say, uh. they call a, they call anger a poison barb with a honey tip. So I try not to make it worse. I make it a, I make it a point to not make big decisions when I'm angry. And then I, I also make it a point to try not to express it uh, in, that, in that moment. I can go, go home and reflect and say, like, is there something that really needs addressing? Because this is good information. Clearly I had, like, a boundary thing happen. The other is I take it for a walk. I take my anger for a walk and I, like, grunt. Mm. <laughs> so, is, uh, yeah, it really helps. Take it for a walk. Those are two things. May or may not work. May or may not work for you. But. Oh, that was good. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, I was talking a little bit about allow. And what I, was, what I was hoping to emphasize is something about there's some flavor of allowing, accepting, or something hinted to there that is in the category of very subtle aversion toward an emotion. It's like, uh, I'm kind of allowing this, but I actually don't really want it to be here. Thank you. Um, there's like the the wish to the wish to change it, the wish to manipulate it, work it out, whatever, can be one of these like more subtle undercurrents that's the opposite of allow. And so something for me about about the attitude or the mental posture of saying I'm actually going to give freedom to this emotion uh, touches on allowing it to be. It's um, kind of what I was what I was getting at. Does that touch on what you were wondering? Why don't we do one more short guided meditation and then we can do some more questions before we call it a night. I'm appreciating your endurance. Oh, and feel free to stand. If you're, if you're more comfortable standing for the meditation, you're welcome to do that. This will just be three or four minutes.
So as we're beginning, before we even start anything that looks like a method, just tuning in with yourself to see if there's any mood or emotional state. Most often there's at least some, some kind of, some sense of a mood. If it helps you, you can give that a name to yourself. And when you're ready, you can invite your attention to the breathing. While you're with the breathing, noticing any tendency of the mind to move from simple to complicated. Letting go of the breathing, I invite you to return your attention to the mood. Maybe it's changed, maybe it's the same. What emotion or mood do you recognize? Is it okay that it's there? But how do you recognize in the body this mood? What sensations tell you the state you're in? to be with those sensations, those feelings. And if it shifts, if it changes, if one sensation becomes two, three, four, What happens next? And then giving yourself just a couple deep breaths and 
Welcome back. It's a good time if there's anything you want to share from the practice. Any questions you have? Uh, I have a question about the language we use around emotions because I feel that in English language we have a certain number of words to describe emotions. They are containers, but of course emotions are more nuanced and blurred than the words we have to describe them. Definitely. Other languages have more words that add texture, but nice. I find myself when I'm reflecting on mood and emotion and I'm tending to label it with language. I'm sure. I wonder your advice for the sort of accepting emotions and their complexity and their entirety. Totally, totally. Thank you for raising the question. Yeah, the um, to go at it sort of backwards from the way you you phrased the question. The um, the naming of it, the naming of it, can be one approach, if it's useful, to help recognize what's actually what's going on. For a lot of us, like emotions are happening, bodies happening. And there's, there's um, varying levels of recognition of what's happening. So if the name and the exercise of naming is helpful, great. Um, and then to move further along that spectrum, if it's not, if it's not useful to name, if that's, if that's actually limiting what you're perceiving, then skip it. Yeah, I think the... We have the we have especially these like emotion categories: happy, mad, sad, scared. And then there's this whole rainbow. There's this whole color wheel inside there. So what like what actually is in there? I think um, I think cultivating the sense of curiosity. What's actually in there, and how do I know? Yeah. And then whatever happens to be there. In terms of the practice, the um, awareness and mindfulness doesn't mind if the emotion is all the same, if you only ever have one emotion. And it doesn't mind if there's a whole spectrum. Of course, we're human, so we're, we're going to have this spectrum probably. But as far as cultivating awareness, it doesn't mind so much. And then the, the, process, of, the process of sort of... Um, Freeing oneself with your emotions comes along whatever arises. Whatever arises. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for the question. Hi. I have a question about directing the awareness when we're meditating. Sure. So, say I start meditating, I focus on my breath to pick a spot of focus, and then maybe I feel a little pain in my ankle, maybe I feel a little pain in my arm. Yeah. I could either be aware of like each of those things, like, oh, there's a little pain in my foot, there's a little pain in my arm. Or I could just simply say, by there's something that's taking my attention away. Nice. Be very general. Mm -hmm. So how do you choose between should I think about it in a general way? Or uh, like you said, with like your food and a body sensation, actually index on that specific thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm hearing a couple different things. We can, we can tease, that, tease that apart. I, the question is, as, as I'm hearing it, say you're meditating, you feel pain in one area, you decide you're there, you're there for a moment and then you feel pain somewhere else, and I hear a little bit of decision about whether or not to move 
whether or not to move the attention if you're directing it to one thing or the other? Actually, the question is more, you feel sensations in different parts of your body. Sure. And you can't focus on one of those specific parts. Sure. Or you can just keep it general and say, hey, as you're uh, focusing on your breath right now, yeah. something is trying to take your attention away. So rather than like really digging into it, mm -hmm. you just like kind of focus on something that's trying to take my attention away. Nice. Nice. Good question. Thank you. Um, the, the practices we're developing it is going from directing to the breathing to including all experience. So just knowing that in, in the arc of this particular practice, that's where we're headed. With that in mind, the place we're going has the attention move sort of freely, as it will. What I, th what I would recommend as, we, as we're going along is stay with your breathing. And then when something, something is really compelling, if there's, a, say, a pain comes up, but it's not really getting in the way of you paying attention to the breathing, you can just let that stay in the background. Only when something is strong enough to, to start interfering with your connection with the breath, then release the breath for now and go to, go to the other thing. And this is a, this is a practice of... Um, yeah, including, including more and more. If we were doing strictly concentration practice per se, we would just ignore the rest and stick to the breathing. Maybe we'll do a series on that sometime. That would be really fun. But, um, yeah. Yes? Um, so the emotion actually is just contentedness, I feel like. Great. <laughs> uh, uh, so great. Um, maybe we can dig into that. That would be like a that would be a whole session. That would be really fun. Um, but there's a there's a way when the more we meditate that like neutral experience actually becomes a sort of resting ground. Because pleasant pleasant and unpleasant and the way we get wrapped up in them can be really tiring. Something else that develops is this whole spectrum of really pleasant emotions that come through meditation that actually don't rely on um, us chasing and getting what we want. It's fabulous. And our sensitivity to that sort of grows, grows over time. It's one of the ways we, get, we become independent from cravings. So in terms of like learning to recognize contentment, I think it's a really good exercise as you're, say, I think anyone can employ this. Uh, as you're going throughout the day, just have like a little bit of your attention, maybe 10% 10 of your attention or something, to just scanning to see where's the pleasant. Is there actually something just teeny and pleasant right now that's, uh, that's in my experience? Um, and that might, that might open, open the doorway to some of the, these things like contentment. I think something a little, just a little bit deeper than that. I'm sort of fascinated by the, by the question, actually. It's, kind of, it's a fascinating thing to, to see that there's an emotion there, recognize it as contentment, and then have it disappear. 
Where did it go? What made, where was it? Where was that? Then, then we get to talk about emptiness. I don't know how helpful that was, but <laughs> that's what came to my mind. Maybe one more, and then we'll um, do some announcements. Hi. Um, I have two really good One, is it safe to say that the same sort of warning about physical pain applies to emotional pain, and that you shouldn't go as far as you can? Totally, totally. Does the same, did everyone hear that? Does the same caveat about physical pain, don't overdo it, apply to emotional pain? Yeah, totally, totally. Um, I don't know where this idea comes from, so I can't like I can't hand it to the Buddha and say the Buddha did it. But um, the idea of working from the edges, like not to go head on into the hardest emotional thing, but to like build your build your skills from the edges. Yeah. And then my second, sorry to do two parts. Oh yeah, but, um, can you talk a little bit about primary and secondary emotions? And the reason I ask is because you're talking about anger a lot. And for me, I found that that's typically my primary emotion, but it stems from fear or sadness. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. I think we're, I think one of the places this can fit is in the tease apart bit. Where if you're teasing apart, say, commentary from sensation or sensation and sensation, something else that you can tease apart is secondary from primary. like. Maybe underneath my resentment is an old anger. Or maybe underneath anger is hurt or fear. So as you're teasing it apart, like what emerges? And it's a, it's a, it's a process that has its own unfolding. Um, maybe the last thing I'll say about this is the, the, way, the way that, well, I mean, and we know this, and we know this well, the way that emotion, emotions unfold, not linear. It's not like, tough emotion plus mindfulness, easy forever. It's, um, yeah, it, it really has a life of its own and takes its own time. I think we're out of time for tonight. If there are lingering questions, I'll, I'll stay behind. We can do a couple of announcements and then we'll follow tonight. Um, thank you all very much for, for doing Investing some time in your practice. I think that's, that's quite a wholesome thing. Quite a wholesome thing. And to do it with a whole bunch of other people. Usually when we do yavs, we have a short talk. Haha. And then we do some small group stuff. So you get, there's, there's more chance in this community to get to know each other than in uh, a night like tonight. Um, something I want to suggest as you go into your week, knowing that We've covered breathing, posture, body, and emotions. Spend some time practicing with these this week before we move on to shikantaza, but, and before we move on to practicing with thinking. Because having, the, having these as a foundation is very, very helpful for what we're about to do. Uh, and as I said last time, if you only meditate while you're here, it's good by me. Totally good by me. And the practice really deepens, and you can, I, I think you'll end up getting a lot more out of it you spend some time uh, meditating each day. So there's that. Uh, another suggestion would be, since we've opened the can of worms of emotions, maybe keep a short list, maybe on your phone, maybe with real paper. Like, what are, the, what are emotional patterns you notice in your week? You don't, you don't have to get too detailed, but just be like, oh, I notice, I notice this emotion coming up a lot. I notice this emotion coming up a lot and just sort of leave it at that for the time being. 
those two things. Um, do you have any community announcements? This is how things happen, I guess. <laughs> People want to do something, and then we do it. Um, great. Uh, let, let's close with a sort of formal closing, and then we can exit. Thanks for staying three minutes after. My apologies. So... May it be that our time and practice and sharing in the Dharma here tonight just gave some little nourishment to something, to something within us. Just some little nourishment. And may our practice be strengthened and deepened, opened in some way. And may whatever benefit is generated from that be turned over, offered without any hesitation to the benefit of everyone we know and everyone we don't. May all beings be happy and may all beings be free. Thank you so much. And good night. Hope to see some of you next week. Thank you. Thank you.